It's September 30th, 2012, and you're listening to the Architecture Happy Hour. I'm Laura. And I'm Larry. And it's a two-drink minimum, so grab your glass and let's get started. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Architecture Happy Hour. We're so excited to be here on the very last day of September. I was just in a craft store this weekend, and it's full of pumpkins and scarecrows and Halloween stuff. And, of course, the other half of the store is all Christmas already. I'm surprised the rest of it isn't Christmas. Yeah, Yeah, no, in fact, Mm. they have all their fall stuff already on 40 and 50% off sales. And I'm going, wait, (laughs) today's the first day the temperatures drop below 80 degrees. Give me a break. Yeah, no. It's crazy. Well, yeah, you can tell the stores are getting a jump on, like the department stores are mm-hmm. getting a jump on Christmas because every ad you see is free layaway and, you know, holiday giving and, you know, presents. Oh, and they're already putting the little gift package type products out, you know, that you see only around Christmas time. Holidays. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's only the end of September. I <laughs> know. Uh, we barely gotten through back to school. I they're know. just kind of easing us into it there we so go. we don't get that shock at about, you know, mid-November. Oh, no, there'll still be the shock. <laughs> We'll still be shocked. Yeah, in about three more podcasts, I'll be going, oh, my God, I haven't started my shopping. (laughs) You realize it's December 20th, right? (laughs) Well, you know, that's never mattered before. Oh, sure. Yeah, well. Okay. Well, and we normally wouldn't be podcasting this late in the month, except that, of course, most of you know, or anyone who's been listening knows, we were in Atlanta last weekend at the South Atlantic Regional Conference presenting. At the American Institute of Architects, Mm -hmm. talking to a bunch of our friendly architects there and mm-hmm. including one gentleman from mexico yeah mexico city well yeah that was kind of a fun conference because there were people not just from atlanta but mm-hmm. from it was south carolina and georgia and was it i think it's florida florida alabama kind of that whole area was, right i mean we well, had people even from dc i think that were in our yeah. session well and then we had people coming to speak from you know some guys up in the northeast this guy from mexico city of course mm-hmm. we came from dallas so it was kind of an interesting mix of people in general. Yeah, and we met another speaker from New England. Yeah. Yes. So. Very we oddly enough we were doing what we were afraid were very similar topics. And cuz we were doing reinventing the architect, uh-huh. and he was doing reinventing the architectural profession and we bumped into him the night before the presentation. He had just gotten in. And he said, "Oh, so you guys are presenting on this." Well, Maybe I'll come to your session if and if I don't need to repeat anything in mine, I can just say, okay, whoever was here at Larry and Laura's session can go home now because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. everybody else can stay. But if you were at the presentation this morning, we're done. But it turned out I went to his presentation in the afternoon. It was really interesting and, and really not very similar not to what we totally talked about. totally overlapping. Right, not totally yeah. overlapping. And there were a few times he said, oh, if you were at Larry's presentation this morning, then you'll know X, Y, Z. But I was looking across the room, and there weren't very many people who were in our presentation that morning. So. Well, and so we might, for the benefit of our listeners, give mm-hmm. them just the three or four bullet points of what our presentation was about. Get off your butt <laughs> and get out there and make sure people know who you are and what it is that you do. Yes. That's been the, the big thing for the whole idea about reinventing was we've got to be seen as approachable, relatable, and adding value to a project because – People don't always 
get that. You know, it's like, oh, I can just hire a builder to do it or I can hire a designer to do it. There's, you know, I don't need to get an architect involved. Yeah. For some reason, we often don't even enter the thought process. If somebody thinks, oh, I need something built, so I'll go to the builder. Well, we need to take back our part of that project, you know, that part of the process and really educate our clients on on what it is that we bring to the table. Well, and and not even educating our clients. The big thing for us has been educating people in general because Uh the networking groups that we go to, people don't know what the process is like or what it's like to work with an architect. So just trying to get people to understand that, you know, we, we always complain about Get, sort of getting pushed out of the process that the builders are taking over, the designers or the interior designers even sometimes. But we're not the ones out there, you know, trying to promote ourselves or trying to make people aware of what we do. So it was an interesting presentation to do. And we had a, a really great Q&A afterwards because we had a smaller crowd and it just worked out well that we were able to actually really do a lot of a lot of interaction at the end and, and get some feedback. And especially the guy from Mexico City was interesting just because of the way they had have used Facebook. Yeah, he really had embraced with – he was in his in practice with his son, mm-hmm. and they had really embraced social media and even Groupon yeah. for – Which I thought was interesting, I Groupon. Was fascinating. He said that they had presented a deal on Groupon where I, what the value would have been was $400, but for – 150 or 200, mm-hmm. you could get an hour or two, or two hours, hours with with, with an architect. And a little sketch at the end of yeah. your little whatever you, it was you were talking about. Yeah, which really still kind of covers your investment in that and potentially introduces you to a new client. Right. Uh, you know, you just have to make sure that you're getting enough out of it financially to not, you know, tie up a bunch of your time. Yeah, not take a bath in it. Right, because yeah. I have heard from an interior designer who did that that she said, you know what, we should not have done it because all we got was a bunch of tire kickers and they were just mm-hmm. shopping for the best deal and they, it wasn't really the best way to find right. our particular type of client. But, right. you know, who knows, for the right yeah. kind of uh, architect, it may be a good Well, yeah, entry. this may actually work really well for him. So it was, yeah. it was interesting. It was an interesting trip. And uh, one of the things that I got to have fun with is my friend Philip lives there and all of his friends named Jeff which was the, you know, there's Bank Jeff and Nighttime Jeff and Midtown Brian and Neighbor Brian. And then, you know, there's this, I'm like, Philip, you have to find people with different names. <laughs> but we were sitting there and I think he and I were, I guess we're having lunch or, or um, maybe breakfast. I can't, I can't remember what it was, but I noticed all these construction cranes around Atlanta. I thought, oh, that's really great. They're building in Atlanta. He goes, oh, no, those have been there for the last four years. It's like, excuse me? And they haven't moved? <laughs> they haven't moved. He said, oh, yeah, you know, they were 2008. They were just starting to get all the high-rise boom was going on and all the high-rise apartments. And, yeah, they had a couple of projects that they started, and they got the giant hole in the ground. They got the cranes up, and then they went belly up, and nothing's moved since. Oh, my God. So just these construction cranes in Atlanta that aren't doing anything, which it seems kind of strange because those things aren't cheap. No. You would think someone would have come and gotten them. <laughs> Maybe they just didn't need them anywhere else. I, I don't know. But, yeah, so so it's really was kind of weird to sit there and look and think, oh, progress. Oh, wait, no. It's no just progress. part of their marketing program yep. there in the city of Atlanta. <laughs> it's for the illusion. It's for the illusion of progress, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, in fact, the funny thing was you said there was a, a giant um, – one of the projects basically was really, he said, a giant hole. They had yeah. like, torn down all these buildings and dug this giant hole and got the cranes up. And then it stopped. And then this year, 
someone bought the parcel across the street, flattened that, and have actually started building on that parcel. So there's this nice new building going up and a hole across the street with cranes sticking out of it. I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, that's like, you know, the, the Walmarts that empty out and they go build the super center two blocks down. Mm-hmm. And then the old Walmart sits there. empty, right. big superstore. Well, and that was one of the, the interesting things that at the conference was I, one of the sessions I attend, attended was called Retrofitting Suburbia. And the presenter was talking about it's, I guess, the, oh, I can never remember the name of it. It's the Urbanism Congress for the CNU. New Urbanism. Uh, Congress for New Urbanism, I think is what it is. Brian McLaren is going to kill me for not remembering that. <laughs> Shame on you, Shame Larry. on me. Shame. But the presenter had written this book, uh, and it was all about you know, these projects that people, all these case studies that people were doing to take over the box stores, like the, the abandoned Walmarts. And it was phenomenal, the amount of, like, empty shopping centers and strip malls and the big box stores. I mean, like, hundreds of thousands and millions of square. I mean, you're just like, holy cow. I mean, mm-hmm. all this stuff is just sitting empty. And, of course, some of it's stuff from back in the 60s that was built, and that part of town kind of got run down, and everybody left, so there's just an empty mall space. Mm-hmm. It was really, really interesting. And, um, of course, I'm tweeting not tweeting, I'm texting Brian in, in the course. I'm like, hey, sitting here on this course, I'm blah, blah, blah. I just was thinking about you. And what does he tweet back or message me back? He says, oh, yeah, we had lunch last, you know, like four months ago. So with like, the speaker. With the speaker. <laughs> like, well, of course you did. Of course. Why wouldn't you? So it was, it was really interesting. Yeah, no, it's really an important topic because I can think just within probably a quarter mile of our house, mm-hmm. we've got one that was turned into a Saigon Asian market, which is now packed all the time, sure. which is good to see. Then we've got a old Minyards, which is kind of your neighborhood little grocery store that went out of business when things kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. And they literally leveled that building and they're building now a new big fancy car wash. So there's not even the box store anymore. Wow. And then we've got wait, the... Asian market was a target, and the super target got built two blocks down the road. Mm-hmm. And then we've got an Albertsons that's still sitting empty. And that's literally within the, the four big blocks that surround our neighborhood. Wow. It's bizarre. Wow. Yeah, so it's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. Some of the case studies, um, I wish I could, uh, it's terrible. I can't remember the name of the book. Isn't that horrible? Maybe we can um, look it up and look it put up it on our Facebook somewhere. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so it was, it was an interesting conference, just in, and just being in Atlanta, because I've been there like three, this, I think this is my third time to be in Atlanta. And it always, always learned something new. And we actually went to Stone Mountain, which is 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. And of course, it went up to the top of the Stone Mountain. And you're looking there, and, and you can see how spread out Atlanta really is, because that's the thing that always gets me, is like, the city is so spread out, and it's so big. And there are so many trees. I mean, we're driving down the freeway. I'm like, why aren't there strip malls all the way down the freeway? That's what it's like where we're from. But there's all these trees everywhere. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Um, but we did have an actually, actually had an interesting something happen while we were in Atlanta. Something happened. On, oh, no, I'm going to let Laura tell it because she's the one just like you know, letting me know about it. Oh, well, yeah. In fact, I think I saw it. 
I think it was when I was on my way home on the airplane, you know, mm-hmm. while people were boarding and I'm checking email and checking Facebook and things like that. And I go over to our architecture happy hour Facebook page and I see a message, a direct message. And we hardly ever get those. So I was really excited to see who it was from. And there was this really nice message from Michelle Caligaraki, who is in Greece. We hope we pronounced that correctly. We hope. I didn't mess that up, Michelle. But thank you so much, Michelle, for your message. And to her lovely husband, who also, they, I thought this was so cute. She said that she and her husband get their coffee and come sit and listen to our podcast. And I thought, oh my gosh, yay. (laughs) That's so sweet. So, but what was really nice is we had a little conversation back and forth over the next couple of days. And uh, Michelle and her husband, both are architects there in, in Greece. And she was saying how daunting the the outlook is for architecture right. there in Greece. Well, and I know we've, we've heard. Calling yeah, of course. News, yeah. yeah, it's a worldwide um, problem going on over there. And so she, her question was that she actually is a, a Greek-American and um, had mentioned that she was looking to somehow make their way towards the U.S., but that how what is the process for becoming an architect in the U.S., and particularly if you're already – a licensed architect somewhere else in another country. And, you know, we are obviously familiar with the process here, having been U.S. students and then going through the process fairly traditionally, mm-hmm. um, you know, as fun as it was. Yeah, in as much as it was just a delight to do anyway. It sure was, just a hop, <laughs> skip, and a jump. And But anyway, so she was saying, you know, she doesn't even know if it's – I mean, really, is it worth the effort? It's so expensive and it takes so much time. So one of her questions was, what is the process? And then, you know, what's involved? Because a lot of times we'll talk about some of our friends who never did get their license, but they still are able to do residential projects. And that, you know, here in Dallas, we don't necessarily, they don't need a licensed architect to stamp a drawing to do a home renovation or something like that. So we thought today we'd talk a little bit about what it is, all the hoops you do have to jump through to become a registered architect here in the U.S., and particularly if you are coming from an international uh, international office or, you know, somewhere else, and then how many opportunities there are to do architecture here, or maybe I should call it design, because you're not supposed to, <clears throat> right. you you're not supposed to say, or... right, you're not allowed to call yourself an architect or say that you're practicing architecture unless you actually are registered. So we have to make that clear from the beginning. But if you are a designer, you can call yourself a designer. And if you're interested in doing work that falls under the exempted uh, projects, there actually are quite a few different building types and areas Mm-hmm. of work that are still available to people right. who don't well, actually hold a license. Well, and then at least in Texas that we know. And of course right. every every jurisdiction changes, but we'll get to that. So so jumping off into the first big thing about if you're if you're outside the US and you want to come here and practice, welcome to the wonderful land of NCARB. It's the <laughs> yes. National Council of Architecture Registration Boards. And now normally for us we would finish our master's degree, establish a certificate within CARB do our IDP, take our exams, be done. Well, take our exams, hopefully pass everything, if not, take them again. But, you know, you get the idea. Right, right, right. It's a sim- sort of a simple process. But we were looking because Michelle had mentioned this, and we thought, well, what does it really take? And we were looking at the, the program through NCARB, and it's called the Broadly Experienced Foreign Architect Program. 
And all we could think was, holy crap. <laughs> I mean, you, wow, you're, you're jumping yeah, through the hoops. you got to want it bad to go through this, yeah. what they've outlined. Yeah, well, and, and just, you know, there's the eligibility verification. If they, you know, verify that you're eligible, you can get your in-carb record. Then you have to assemble a dossier and get that reviewed. And format, not, not just reviewed, you have to make sure it's formatted correctly. There's a fee for verifying that it's formatted correctly. It's not formatted correctly, then you have to reformat it and resubmit it, and then they'll re-verify it for another fee to make sure that it is actually in the right format. Anyway, um, so the, the dossier review, then there's the actual interview within CARB, and then they'll do a final evaluation of your record. And once they've done all that and they can actually issue you an NCARB certificate, then it's a matter of going to your local, um, your state board and saying, okay, I've got my NCARB certificate. Now what? You know, what do you require for me to do to be able to get my license and practice here? And Well, and, and so we should explain that NCARB is a national, the National Council, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, since we're here in Texas, if we want to take the exam in Texas, we can practice in Texas. Right. But if we wanted to go practice in Oklahoma or California or New York or any other state, we would have to go to that state and say, hey, what do you want me to do or prove in order to be licensed and practice in your state? So each state has their own board of licensing and, and registration. So that's the first thing you need to know. And then if you want to, the, I mean, if you want to go to a different state, often if you hold an NCARB certificate, which you you don't necessarily have to have in order to be licensed in your state, which, right. for example, I have one, but Larry do does not, right? Because right? I have a professional degree. Larry I does do not. not, which doesn't mean that Larry can't get licensed in Texas. It's the same. Yeah. We both took the same exact exam. Right. It's just a matter of do I qualify to have reciprocity for licensure in another state? And if you have that NCARB certificate, it makes the licensing in another state process much, much easier. It's kind of like you have to go up to NCARB and then back down to another state. state right. And they'll go, oh, you have an NCARB certificate. Okay, so we know you've qualified, you know, XYZ number of, you know, steps. And, and that tells us that you hold a certain yeah. level of whatever. Well, and, and just I means you've paid enough fees. Right. <laughs> And so to have a spot in their file the cabinet case, right? is what it means. Well, and, and it's been interesting because our um, friends Holly and Clara over at 708 Studios have been doing this um, restaurant chain. And I keep seeing, you know, every time I, I pass them, I'm like, oh, hey, I know the, you know. <laughs> but I keep occasionally, we'll, well, not keep seeing, but occasionally we'll see a post that Holly's gotten a re- uh, reciprocity in this state. Oh, we just got it in this state so we can practice in this state. Oh, we got it over. And it's mostly, I think they're sort of, sort of hopping across the U.S. based on the restaurant chain. Where I, the chain, chain wants chain them wants to, to do go, it, I don't yeah. Know. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's a great um, great something to have, the NCARB certificate, if you really want to practice outside of you know, your home state. But for a foreign architect to get just to that point is really a hoop jump. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, it's not even just a matter of the, the process itself, but if you start looking at what it's going to cost you to do it, you know, the dossier review is five grand. I mean, five thousand dollars just for that, and then another two thousand dollars for dollars for the interview process. One of the things that Laura and I looked at real quick too, because I can actually get my NCARB certificate, even though I don't have a professional degree. I can get an NCARB certificate, but I would follow the exact same process as a foreign architect. I would have to go through the whole dossier review, the interview process. It's the same fee structure. I'm like. 
I don't want it that badly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's as a as a firm owner, uh, as long as one of us can get reciprocity and we can practice in other states that way, that's great. But there's no necessarily need for all of us to be able to do it. Right. right. Yeah. Well, and then there's the other added thought too is because the other question she was asking was, you know, we've been talking about our friends who aren't registered still being able to practice. So in you know in the state of Texas, there's a lot of different things, different types of projects you can do and not be a registered architect. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, from our point of view, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but for yeah. others, it still makes it a right. you know something that they're able to do. Yeah. Well, and like for us, one of the big things for us is residential design, residential architecture. The city of Dallas doesn't require an architect seal for that. For a single-family home. For a single-family home. You just, or even a multifamily home that's under a certain number of units and under a certain number of stories, stories under right. two stories right. tall, yeah. So, you know, it varies really by jurisdiction. I mean, it really, and then it could be city to city to city even. I can't imagine what the city of Austin requires because they're very lead-oriented and everything's very green building. So, you know, it'd be interesting if, depending on where you really want to practice. So, uh, But we have friends out there that that they've never bothered to get licensed and don't see any point in it. As long as you're working under someone else, you don't have to stamp anything. And honestly... There's the added benefit of I don't have to stamp it means I'm not liable. I mean, there's there's a liability issue involved too because you're looking at someone else's, you know, someone else is stamping those drawings for you. They're legally liable for it. Yeah, that's the other thing too is you can work on any project you want in the world as long as you've got a project architect mm-hmm. who's managing the process. If you're working within their team, you yeah. can get hired by a firm. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you've got a license from somewhere else and you can show that you understand the building codes and the laws and regulations here in the states then you may be able to get hired by a firm you know right now the prospects are not all that great they're getting better but still because of the economy it's kind of tight yeah you know there's a lot of architects out of work yeah Uh, but still theoretically speaking it's quite possible to to practice architecture and use those talents and skills and experience without necessarily holding that piece of paper that says you're registered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and again, it gets that weird fine line, not calling yourself an architect, not putting, in fact, when we started the business, because Laura and I had not obtained our licenses yet, we could not be HPD architects. We had to be architecture because only one of us was registered with the state. And so we couldn't actually say architects because we weren't all architects. Right. So it's it's a lot of rules and regs you got to read through, but but essentially, I guess for Michelle and her husband, if you wanted to come to the states, think about where you're you're going to go practice. You know, talk with the state board, talk with the local jurisdiction, you know, people local, um, you know, talk with the city, and find out what's really required for the type of projects you want to do. And it may be simple to come over here and really design and practice and and. Of course, you're still going to need to know all the codes and all that sort of fun stuff. But like anybody else, it's get the book out and read it. Right. Yeah. There's a difference between reading it in order to submit a set of plans mm-hmm. versus reading it to pass an exam. Right. right. Um, you know, you still have to study, you know, and know it. it but, right, right. <laughs> but it's no, a they, different kind of knowing it, I guess. Oh, right. You just you have to be able to follow all the regs. And, and there are things that are still probably going to surprise you. You know, that you're like, really? We do this all the time over there. Well, no, no, we don't, you know, we don't do that here. Right. Well, <laughs> one thing I thought was interesting that Michelle put in one of her messages was that she said that 
she was asking what it takes because, you know, to do it if you're not – to submit plans if you're not registered. Mm-hmm. And she had mentioned that in Greece you couldn't even think about – submitting an application for a building permit unless you were a registered architect. And so I don't know if, if she meant to write it that way, if the architects are the ones who submit the applications for mm-hmm. permit, because it dawned on me that actually here, at least in Texas, the contractors are the ones who apply for permit. Yeah, we've never applied for a permit Architects don't, lives. yeah. Unless yeah. you're doing design build where you're acting as the contractor as well, that mm-hmm. might be a little different. But it's always the contractor that takes care of that. We've yeah. never – so that might be another thing to, to realize that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for Michelle and her husband, if, if Michelle, if you have family here in the States and that's where you're thinking about coming back, uh, that's probably where I'd start looking. Yeah. You know, start at your state level and find out what do they require, uh, you know, what kind of projects take a registered architect stamp on the drawings and, and which ones don't. Um, so, well, and, and kind of a nice segue back to where we started was with our reinventing the architect. One of the things we talked about in that session at the conference was that we really have to network with the people around us, with the people in our industry. Mm-hmm. And so for somebody coming in from another state or from another country who wants to practice here, I would say find a mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, try to connect with another architect in the city where you want to practice or get involved and and start building relationships. Because once, you know, if you've got somebody that can just kind of give you the ropes, you know, show you the ropes and and say, okay, here's what it says on paper, but here's what it really means. you got to yeah. go talk to Janet down in the office. Oh, Don't go to, to Jenny. Go to Janet. And make sure you go there before lunch because after lunch she's really cranky. And, you know, I mean, those are the kind of things that well, will make your life so much easier. Right. They can sort of guide you through the process without all the frustration of, well, who do I call? I've called them three times and they're not answering the phone. Oh, yeah. don't call that person. You call this person. Exactly. And yeah. Or, oh, I know so-and-so. I'll have them give you a call or tell them you're calling. Yeah. yeah. And don't even bother contacting them in October because that's the end of their fiscal year. And, the, 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 you know, it, there, you things. would have – you have no idea how many weird little things are, can make or break, oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, trying well, to get through the system. Well, it's even like working with the city. You know, you just have to know the right people to talk to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was down, down there Thursday and Friday making friends with one of the women in the plans department. So um, – Hopefully that will, that will serve me well in the future. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, well, and of course, you know, as we always tell you, if you're networking and you're in Dallas, you can always come to the Architecture Happy Hour, which, of course, goes with the Architecture Happy Hour Facebook page. So like us on yes. Facebook. And you can always find us on LinkedIn, Twitter. There's HPD Architecture has their own Facebook page. So we are all over the place. Yeah. And, of course, we were super excited to get Michelle's message. So if anybody else out there has a question or just wants to check in with us, we are real people, and we will mm-hmm. answer your message. Yeah. And, uh, Michelle, please stay in touch. Let us know how it's going. Yeah, it was nice to know that, yay, someone else is listening. Not <laughs> not, not that we don't love Neil to death because we love Neil to death. Yes, we do. Hi, was, Neil. It's always nice to know that there are other people listening. <laughs> so it's great. But um, I guess for now we should wrap up and let all of you guys go. Yeah. And, of course, if you're in Dallas, anytime you're in Dallas and you want to just pop in the office, you know, drop us a note and say hi and, you know, let us know you're going to be here, you're welcome to come by and visit. We'd just love to talk to you. Yeah, and we're about to move our office. So towards the end of this month, think happy thoughts. Yes, happy, happy we'll, thoughts. We'll keep you posted on the next podcast whether we've made the move. It's yeah. it's really far. It's across the parking lot yes. of our, yes. <laughs> of all our the, building. All but. the way across the parking lot, and, and we'll see how cranky Larry is by the next podcast because, yes. Yeah. We're still trying to figure out where exactly, which 
spot across the parking lot we're actually going to land. Which sweet, where we, yeah. So, yes. so think so. happy thoughts. And in the meantime, you guys have a wonderful October, and we will talk with you all next time. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.